Welcome to Freedom, Becoming Fully Alive. We are in the second part of this overall 21 session series. And the second part is entitled, Getting Your Whole Heart Back. This morning's session is entitled, Free from the Arrow of Shame. Do you believe that you're the sum total of your life's experiences or some defining part thereof? When you think of your life, what has brought you disgrace? What has brought you shame? Is there something in your past that you're still hanging on to? Is there something that you just can't seem to get free from? Was there someone in your family that embarrassed you or was a shame or disgrace to the family? Was it your mom? Was it your dad? As a parent, is it one of your children? Is it something you've done? Is it something that's been done to you? Maybe some way that someone has violated you. What is it, if anything? Is there anything that's seeking to define you? Is the Lord Jesus Christ having the last say? That's his desire. Are you the sum total of your life's experience or some defining part thereof? Today, we're going to talk about being free from the arrow of shame. Let's pray. Lord, we do commit this time to you today. Lord, we thank you for your blood, your blood that reaches to the highest mountain and flows to the lowest valley, the blood that gives us strength day by day, that never loses its power, that blood that was shed on Calvary for the forgiveness of our sins, that blood that was shed for the defeat of Satan. You came to defeat the works of the devil. That blood that continually cleanses us every day, every moment of every sin. Thank you, Lord, for your cleansing. Thank you for your healing. Thank you for setting us free. In Jesus' name, amen. Free from the arrow of shame. As you know, we're in a series, and this series is all about arrow-free living. We want to get the arrow of pride out, the arrow of shame out, the arrow of fear, the arrow of rejection, the arrow of anger, and the arrow of depression. Getting all of these arrows out, getting our whole heart back, and becoming fully alive. That's what we were made for. We were made for the glory of God. We were made for his glory to shine in and through us. But if we're full of arrows, even one, even one will diminish the glory of God being manifest in our life. And that's what this is all about. It's not just so we'll feel better. It's not so that we will have a better self-image. It's not all about us. It's all about him. We want him to be glorified. We want to give a proper estimate of what he is like glorifying God, so there's great purpose, there's great value in getting these arrows out. Last week, we talked about the arrow of pride and how that is all about pride is an issue of significance. We have an appetite for significance. We want our lives to count. We want to make a difference. We want to be loved. We want to love others. And as we talked last week, as we concluded our time, that the antidote for pride, the arrow of pride, was humility and the fear of the Lord. Agree with God and make Jesus the reason you do what you do or don't do. 
Well, today we want to be free from the arrow of shame. Shame is an issue of identity. This arrow, this arrow, if lodged in us, will try to define us. And of course, since this arrow that we're speaking of is an arrow from the enemy, we know that what he's all about is lying. What, what he is all about is stealing. What he is all about is destroying. The thief has come to kill, devour, and destroy. But the good news is, John's ten, John 10.10, 10, the other part of the story, Jesus came to give life and give it abundantly. So this arrow, this arrow of shame will seek to misdefine you, wrongly define you. It will seek to disgrace you. It will seek to destroy you. It must come out. All these arrows must come out. Proverbs 18.3 in your outline. Part B, with shame comes disgrace. And we see, if we break that down, disgrace, D-I-S, not, grace, favor, not favor. And so it is, not having favor. And it's so easy for us if we've suffered shame in our life, if, if it's still because, perhaps it's because of the shame of a past sin that we've not repented of and therefore we're not free from. Or perhaps it's a sin committed against us and we're still experiencing the stain of that sin committed against us. Either way, either way, shame will try to communicate, you're not a favored son, you're not a favored daughter, you're a disgrace. You're dirty. You're unclean. You'll never amount to anything. You don't have what it takes. There's no hope in you. There's no hope for you. With shame comes disgrace. Disgrace. And we see even in that, there's, there's, a, there's a picture of, a, of an identity issue. You know, it's one thing when we do things wrong, that's curable. Repent, believe, receive his forgiveness and his cleansing. It's curable. And even when things have been done against us, we can be free. But what we tend to do is believe into that which we've done and believe into that which has been done to us and believe into, believe into that which has gone on around us. And so it is, we believe the lie that we're the sum total of our life's experiences or some defining part thereof, instead of letting God have the last say. You remember last week I said that every one of these arrows is dipped in the poison of pride. So there we see that if we're believing into ourselves, if we are believing that we're the sum total of our life's experiences or some defining part thereof, who are we believing in? If we're not letting him have the last say. Oh yes, it's all understandable, it's all explainable. And today we want to get to the heart of that so we no longer believe the lie. In Luke 15, verses 18 through 31, I won't read it now, you can read it later. The passage is on your outline. But it's about the prodigal son. And we know the story. He took the inheritance. He went to the distant land. He ended up in the pig pen. But he finally came to his senses. He finally came to his senses. And after he came to his senses, even before he went back to his father, he started rehearsing his confession. He started rehearsing what he was going to say. And basically he said, I'm not worthy to be called your son. 
make me one of your hired men or hired hands. And for you ladies here today, the female equivalent, a servant girl. So there we see, though he had turned, though he had repented, if he would have stayed there, if he would have gotten stuck there, he would have settled for being a hired hand. How about us? We've all failed. We've been wrong. We've had other sin against us. We've had our image tarnished. We've, we've blown it. Our track record, any hope for a perfect track record is gone. It's so easy to think it's too late. It's too late to change now. I'm in it too deep. I'm in this sin pit too deep. Oh, I'd like to change, but it's too late to change. It's too late. I've done too much damage. I've been too wrong. I've made too big of a mess. I've lost my marriage. I've lost my house. I've lost my kids. I've lost everything. It's too late now. It's too late. I might as well kill myself. And we see the heart of that expressed by that prodigal, even in his repentance. I'm not worthy. Well, we know we're not worthy. We all are not worthy. We all deserve to be burning in hell right now. We all sent Jesus to the cross. We've all been dead wrong. But our Father is saying, that's not the point. <laughs> that's not the point. I haven't made you for hell. I've made you for myself. And it's the heart of the Father as that son went back to his father eventually. You'll notice as you read that passage on your own, while he was a long way off, the father saw him because the father was waiting for him. And the father ran after him, hugged him, kissed him, and welcomed him. That's the kind of father we have. Not the father said, not the father, would, the heavenly father that would say, it's too late, Steve. You made, you made too big of a mess, Steve. Like when I, before I came to the Lord, was guilty of being immoral in college and drinking all the time and drinking until I passed out and I reformed to a degree, got drunk, but then, or excuse me, reformed to a degree, got married, and then even in my marriage things shifted gear to another form of pride, another form of me first, another form of indulging myself, which was uh, insane jealousy, trying to control, uh, looking to Mindy to define me, and then I'd get angry at her, and I was abusive verbally, emotionally, and even physically at times. And I felt so badly about that. It, I felt such remorse. I felt such grief. I had thoughts of suicide. I was ready. I didn't care whether I lived or died. I, I didn't want to be that way. I remember thinking and praying, though I didn't even know the Lord, Lord, I don't want to think this. I can't control my thoughts. I don't want to be this way. I was in the misery of sin. I was in the misery of pride. I was in the misery of selfishness. And I didn't want to be there. But I felt hopeless to change. But when I did come to my senses, and when I returned to my heavenly father, so to speak, and while I was a long way off, he was waiting for me, and he welcomed me with joy. And he didn't say, Steve, I can't believe you treated her that way. I can't believe you should have known better than that. Shame on you, Steve. How could you do that? Get out of here. Get out of my sight. No, 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 no. My father welcomed me, received me, forgave me, cleansed me, gave me the ultimate fresh start, made me a son. No longer a slave to sin, as it says in Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7. No longer a slave to sin, but a son a daughter, if you will, depending on your situation. 
is the story of the prodigal goes on. The father receives him after he kisses him and hugs him. And again, the son says, I'm not worthy to be called your son. But before he could even get into it much more deeply and get into this part about making me a hired hand, before he could even get the words out, the father started bringing out the answers. <laughs> he started talking about the remedy, started expressing what he wanted for that son, not to dwell on the past, not to dwell on the pig pen, not to dwell on what was wrong. But it's like, son, I've got a remedy for all of that. Son, there's no hope in you, but there's hope in me for what I have for you. So he gave him a robe, which is a picture of a robe of righteousness. The righteousness of Jesus is our only hope. We've all sinned. We've all blown it. There is no hope that will ever be a good enough, that will ever be good enough, but the righteousness of Jesus is good enough, more than good, good enough for the Father. It totally satisfies the Father. And then he gave him a ring, a ring, which is a signet ring, which was a symbol of authority. As you think of former times when rulers or kings or those in authority would uh, prepare and complete and conduct business, send correspondence or conduct business. They, if you can just envision that right now, pouring that hot wax on the document, it sets up a little bit. And then the ring imprint, which made it official, which meant the, there was authority behind that. And so it is with us. As sons and daughters, we have the authority of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords so that when the devil brings up our past, what's been done to us or what we've done or haven't done, we can hold up the ring and say, Satan, by the authority of my Father, by the authority of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, I am a son. I am no longer a slave to sin. I will not settle for being a hired hand. I have no entitlement. I'm just agreeing with my Father. I'm a son. Get out of here. Get out of here, Satan. You're a defeated foe. I'm not a disgrace. I'm a son. I'm a favored son. Oh, yes, the devil will try to get you to buy into lies. He'll try to get you to believe into your past. He'll try to get you to believe into your present, your imperfect present. He'll try to get you to believe into those disgraceful, violating things that have been done to you, and he'll try to get you to settle there. He'll try to get you to settle there and have that arrow lodge in you and have that define you. And as a man or a woman thinks in, in their heart, so are they, then we'll live out of it. And then we'll perpetuate it because we'll live like a hired hand we'll live like a servant girl we'll live like a disgrace we'll live like we believe the lie and then we'll just perpetuate it all the more and we'll go deeper and deeper into a deeper and deeper pit and the enemy will throw on more lies and we'll feel more hopeless and we'll want to kill ourselves we'll want it to be over the pain will be so great we'll think oh if i if, if this life would just end the pain would be over it's a lie it's a lie it's a lie Our father's got a robe. <laughs> Our father's got a ring. And he wants to put new sandals on us. <laughs> what are the sandals all about anyway? The sandals are all about a fresh start, really, because he wants us to be in the world, but not of the world. I'm sure when the prodigal came back, his shoes were probably destroyed. They were probably worn. His feet were probably like leather. I'm sure he didn't even have any sandals left. So what are the sandals all about? Well, we see in Ephesians, the sixth chapter, where it talks about shodding our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, part of putting on the armor of God, 
That speaks to me of one of the enemy's his most famous lies. When you're coming out of shame and you're ready to commit yourself now, and you're going to change, and you're going to get out of that life, right? And you're going to obey the Lord now, and then the enemy will whisper in your ear, how are you going to carry out this commitment? You won't be able to do it. You won't be able to fulfill it. You're not ready. You're not, <coughs> you're not committed enough. You're not good enough. You're not righteous enough. Who's our preparation anyway? Jesus is our preparation. Shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Make Jesus the preparation. Make him our readiness. He's ready. <laughs> Put on the whole armor of God, including shot in your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. He's our readiness. He's our preparation. There's nobody more committed than he, and he's committed to us. Don't put your trust in your commitment. Don't be committed to your commitment to him. Rest in, receive, and enjoy his commitment to you. Because after all, when you come back, when you come back and you're ready to leave shame and cleave to him, and you not only want the shame out of you, you instead, his, message isn't, his message isn't shame on you. His message is shame off you. That's his message. So when you come, <laughs> he's saying shame off you. The devil is saying shame on you. Our father is saying shame off you. I've got a robe. You're not good enough. It's true. But I know one who is, Jesus, his righteousness. I've got a ring. Go by my authority. Let me have the last say. Put my sandals on. I'm always ready. And then let's celebrate the fatted calf. What better reason to celebrate than the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world? That's the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate reason to celebrate. That's the kind of father we have. That's the kind of commitment he has. You begin to see, I hope you're seeing this, what a lie, what a diabolical lie shame is. Oh yes, we, we get stuck in the shame of our sins. We think we're not worthy. We make that the issue. It isn't even the issue. It really becomes a form of false humility. Will we give ourselves into? Will we yield our hearts to? Will we allow ourselves to be forgiven? Is that okay? Is it okay to agree, or do we still agree with God and his provision and what he's provided for us, everything for life and godliness, the blood of the lamb, a new nature in him, he moves in, he lives the life, will we receive, or is there something in us that says, I still need to pay, right? I still need to pay. I still need to do penance. I still got to have a track record, track, good track record. I still got to perform. I still got to be a good boy. I still got to be a good girl. I still got to demonstrate what I, I got, what it takes. That's religion. That's Christianized flesh. That's a lie. His truth is not lacking. He's not saying throw the truth away. Oh, he's holy. He's holy. He's righteous. He will not settle for sin. He will not settle for sloppy agape. There's only one life that he's satisfied with. That's the life of the Son. Believe into, submit yourself to, receive the life of the Son. As you look at your outline, shame because of real guilt, real guilt because of real sin. I'm not avoiding any, I'm not avoiding sin here today. Let's look the sin right in the eye. Let's look at my insane jealousy right in the eye. Let's look at the abuse right in the eye. Let's look at my immorality right in the eye. Let's look at that drunkenness right in the eye. I don't have to shy away from it. 
I'm not trying to sound like a martyr or a hero, but you could put any sin, any sin that I've ever committed in the World Herald for all the world to see, not that that would be important, not that it's all about me, that's not even the issue, but the truth of the matter is none of that would accuse me. None of that would have any power over me. None of that would define me. It's not who I am. Even if it's what I did, it's not who I am. I refuse to let it define me. I'm a son. <laughs> I'm a son, and I desire, and our Father desires that you receive your sonship, receive your daughterhood, and let him set you free. Let him, even as you cooperate with him, get that arrow of shame out. So real guilt, real sin, real forgiveness through Jesus Christ. No other way. No other way. Real forgiveness through repenting and running your life, giving your life to him, surrendering to him, letting him define you, letting him refine you. And that's part of the, that's part of the lie too because of the things we go through. We go through this stuff and even the stuff we go through, the problems we have, the enemy tries to twist that and say, oh, let's make issue of God's love for you. If this is how he treats his sons and daughters, man alive, how does he treat his enemies? Man, look what he's allowing in your life. You've been having problems. Ever since you surrendered to the Lord, you've even had more problems. He's not taking very good care of you. He's maybe not as good as he says he is. He maybe can't be trusted like he says. It's a lie. It's a lie. He'll try to take, he'll try to spin any circumstance. He'll try to spin any behavior and he'll try to spin it into shame. Shame on you, disgrace. You ought to be lucky he'll allow you to be a hired hand instead of just casting you into hell. That's from the pit of hell. The Lord wants you to be a son. He made you to be a son. He made you to be a daughter. He wants us to embrace what it says in Zephaniah 3.17. I love this. It's so true. This is what he thinks. I will take great delight in you. He, he will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love, and he will rejoice over you with singing. Isn't that amazing? That is your father. That's our father's heart towards you today. If, 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 if you have repented and believed, if you've surrendered your life to him, if you're a child of God, if you're a son or a daughter, and you may say, well, how do I become a son or a daughter? Repent and believe. Give up running your life. Surrender wholeheartedly to him. Let him pay for all of your sins. Let him give you his divine nature. Let him give you his life for life and godliness. Let him take the shame off you. Let him put his totally acceptable life in you. Humble yourself and receive. For as many as have received him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God, even to them who believe on his name. John 1, 12 and 13. But then there's the shame because of false guilt. Part C on your outline. Feeling guilty though where sin is involved, you are in fact forgiven. I think that's a case of not receiving what has been extended to us. Then there's the guilt due to experiencing a lot of rejection. When you've had a lot of rejection from significant others, we tend to feel guilty just for being. And there it is, it's an identity thing. It becomes an identity thing feeling a heaviness of soul and generalized guilt for something you've done wrong. You maybe don't even know what it is, but you know, it must be something, right? I feel guilty. I mean, uh, there must be sin in my life somewhere. I, I really don't know where, but I'm, I'm sure it's somewhere. God is specific. 
He's not generalized. Sometimes the devil is specific too, but he always spins it to the negative and he always spins it towards destruction and hopelessness and there's no way out. Experiencing thoughts and feelings that there's something wrong with me. There's a distinction because we can feel guilt because of real sin, like I was wrong. It's specific, but this whole thing of false guilt and shame is there's something wrong with me. It's an identity issue. It isn't just that I did wrongly. There's something wrong with me. And that's the challenge. Because if I did something wrong, if I sinned, there's a remedy. I, I can repent. I can receive. I can be forgiven. That's curable. But if there's something wrong with me, is that curable? There is where the lie gets in there. And this whole thing of shame, the arrow of shame, attacks our identity. And then feeling stained by the overt sins of others committed against you. In the case of rape, in, this, in the case of sexual abuse, in the, in the case of great violations of trust and, and person, a violation of your personhood in some way, physically, sexually, in some way, that it's like something is taken from you. It's like you've lost something. It's like your innocence has been taken away or some, something of the like, and you, you feel dirty, you feel in, unclean. And, and some have testified to me over the years, I even feel evil. Isn't that interesting? And the situations they're referring to me have nothing to do with their sin. It has to do with the sins committed against them. But yet their testimony is, I feel evil. In the 2 Samuel 13, 10 through 19 passage, we see where Amnon raped his uh, stepsister Tamar. And in verse 13, before he actually rapes her, she, she is trying to dissuade him from doing this. And she says, where could I get rid of my disgrace? He was about to rape her. He was about to sin against her. And she said, where could I get rid of my disgrace? So there's the shame of our own sins, potentially. There's the shame of sins committed against us. But we need to realize that the source of it all is sin. Either mine or somebody's against me or somebody around me. Sin is so defining and the lie of the enemy, spinning it into shame, makes it an identity issue. As we pause in just a moment, consider those issues that people tend to struggle with in, um, and have great difficulty. Those issues that, that people tend to have great difficulty in in resolving shame. Read those over. I'll just read a few. Victim of sexual abuse, I've mentioned that. Ritualistic abuse, born out of wedlock, committing adultery, getting a divorce, being abused sexually, abusing others. Maybe you were the victim, maybe you were the perpetrator. A great source of shame. Either way, failing to meet the standards of others, significant others, drug abuse, financial loss, lust, pornography, homosexuality, that which we do that is not according to God's design, which is a great, short, great source of, of guilt and shame. Let's take a moment, look this over, and see which ones you can identify with before we continue. So as you looked over that list, what could you identify with? 
Later on, we'll talk about that more. But right now, let's press on. No matter what applies to you, no matter whether it's the shame because of your own sin, or whether it's the shame of someone sinning against you, or around you, as the case may be, there is a, there is a remedy. We know that the ultimate remedy is through the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. He is the remedy. And we know, as I said earlier, real sin, real guilt, real repentance leads to real forgiveness. We can own our part. But how about this part of shame where you've been sinned against, where you have been sinned against, or it's somebody else's sin? and it's been around you, either against you or around you, but it wasn't your sin. How do we resolve that? Let's take a look at that. How to resolve that kind of shame. First of all, I want to encourage you to seek out a safe and accepting person, an environment where you can be honest with yourself and honest with God. One of the greatest challenges for a person who is seeking to be free from the arrow of shame. One of the greatest challenges is you will be tempted at least not to trust anybody. And when you don't trust anybody, that has the potential of keeping you isolated. And if the enemy can keep you isolated and away from people, imperfect people, that will probably eventually fail to meet your expectations, and at least in that sense, they'll let you down. If not worse, they'll at least let you down that way by not fulfilling an expectation. But there becomes the challenge, because it'll be difficult for you to do this on your own, because if the enemy can get you alone and get you in the darkness, he's got you where he wants you, because he can really lie to you there, and he can spin his story spin his lies and try to get you to believe more and more lies and feel more and more hopeless. And then, of course, his goal is to destroy you and me. Make no mistake about it, his, his goal is to kill us. Of course, his ultimate goal would be for us to have a Christless eternity, to never come to the saving knowledge of Jesus and spend a Christless eternity. But if we've already surrendered to the Lord and we're sons and daughters, though we may be living like hired hands and servant girls most of the time, but we are sons and daughters, we do have an inheritance, we do have a wonderful Heavenly Father, what's he going to try to do with us? He'll still try to isolate us. He'll still try to lie, us, lie to us. He'll try to get as many arrows lodged in us as possible. And if he can keep us alone, it'll be pretty difficult for us to ever get free. Does that mean that Jesus isn't sufficient? Of course Jesus is sufficient. Does that mean I couldn't deal with all this just between the Lord and me? I don't want to limit God in any way, but I do know how God works. <laughs> he tends to involve others. That tends to be how he does it. So I pray that you'll be willing to be open to seeking and finding a safe and accepting person that you can be honest with that will help facilitate this process. Fresh Start on Monday nights is such a place and an environment. Hopefully you're finding 
Freedom on Sunday mornings that way. And if you've been to Freedom on Wednesday night, hopefully you're finding that a safe environment as well. Imperfect people, yes, there's only one that's perfect. But don't try to go it alone. I think part of the lie of the enemy is that he, he'll try to get you to believe you should be able to settle this on your own because it's a sign of weakness if you can't. And if you're weak, you're unspiritual. You must not be committed enough. That's how he'll try to spin the lie even more. There's something lacking in you. There's something wrong with you. And you'll feel all the more defeated and guilty. If you're experiencing shame due to something that's been done to you, begin to express your heart audibly to the Lord. Tell him all about it. I can think of countless times over the years where I've been involved in seeking to help someone, available to help someone, and it became very clear that they had so many things all pent up within them, so much pain, so much anger, so much shame. And I knew part of the process needed to be, part of the process needed to be for them to begin to express and tell Jesus all about it. Of course, they may say, oh, I don't want to tell him all about it. I'm mad at him. Tell him all about it anyway. Pour your anger out to him, just like King David did. Well, I don't need to tell him. He already knows. It's not for him. It's for you. Start telling him all about it. This could involve telling him what happened to you, expressing your feelings and your thoughts and your unmet desires to him. This is similar to a process that we lead people through in Completing Christ Ministries called Processing the Issues of Your Heart, which has as its aim and its goal forgiving others. But that same kind of process can be of great help to you, resolving issues of shame, being honest with yourself. Who or what has hurt you or offended you or violated you? Who has wronged you? Who has sinned against you? What do you think about it? How do you feel about it? How has it affected? How have you responded? What have you decided? And then begin to pour your heart out to the Lord. Sometimes it's helpful to write it down because when you write things down, it helps you be more specific. Otherwise, if you're just thinking and trying to settle it in your mind and in your heart, your mind can wander and you're going all over the place and you won't necessarily land. You'll be like a plane circling Epley Airfield well, maybe this, and maybe that, and maybe I feel this, and maybe I feel that, and maybe they were wrong, and maybe, maybe this, and you know, that person was, maybe that person sexually abused me, but maybe I could have stopped it. Maybe I should have stopped it. Maybe I should have done more. Maybe this, maybe that. Maybe, maybe I'm guilty too. Write it down. Write it down. Tell him. Tell Jesus. Even if you're mad at him. Write it out as if you're addressing him. Tell him all about it. And here is a huge point, the next point, under the heading, How to Resolve Shame, point number two. <clears throat> Give the guilt or the shame to the offender. Give it to them. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, today I'm going to ask you to do something totally voluntary. Everybody has one of these paper crosses. And even now, I'd like you to be thinking about what you're going to be writing on this cross. It says at the top of the cross, near the top, it says, free from the arrow of shame. 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Certainly that applies to your sins. 
But how about sins committed against you? The blood of Jesus avails for you there as well because it's the blood of Jesus that's going to cleanse you. It's the blood of Jesus that's going to wash you clean. It's the blood of Jesus that's going to get that stain out of you, even if it's somebody else's sin against you. But even now, as you seek to get the shame out of you and off you this morning, list on this cross who you have sinned against and or those that have sinned against you or have violated you. Write down their names. I'm not going to read this later. This isn't for my reading. And if you would rather write that person's name in code or initial, I leave that up to you. This is not for me or anybody else to read later. This is for you. But I'm going to ask you in a few moments to write down either those that you've sinned against and you know you know you have. You know you've wronged them. Or those who have sinned and or those that have sinned against you. And you know you've been violated. You know you have been wronged. What is this going to help? How is this going to help? By writing it down, it's like you are participating. You're agreeing with God. And you're going to get the shame out of you off you and you're going to agree with God you're going to agree with God as to who the guilty one is now if you're the guilty one agree with God agree with God and receive his remedy receive the cleansing of his blood receive his robe receive his ring receive his readiness Receive all that he's provided through his shed blood for you. Receive. Humble yourself and receive. If it's someone who has sinned against you and you're carrying that guilt, agree with God that they're the guilty one, not you. You won't be cursing them. You don't have to tell them they're the guilty one. They don't have to be informed by you. This is between you and the Lord. But get it out of you, off of you, and on to Jesus, the one who became sin, who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him and that he might cleanse us from all guilt and all shame. So give the shame or guilt to the offender. Agree with God as to who the guilty one really is. And as a part of this process, take responsibility for your responses because even if you have been sinned against, Maybe you have bitterness or resentment or unforgiveness in response. Forgive them. Cancel the debt. They owe you nothing. Jesus has given you everything. He is enough. He is your life. Don't make what you want from them. Don't make any claim that you're holding against them. Don't make anything that you're insisting to receive from them. They need to ask for forgiveness before I could forgive them. They need to own their wrong. They need to say they're sorry. No, release them from the claim. You don't need to tell them that you have forgiven them, and it's not a matter of minimizing it. It's a matter of you canceling the debt you're going to let God be the debt collector, and you are going to be 
forgiving them just as surely as he has forgiven you. Forgive one another as he has forgiven you. Cancel the debt. They owe you nothing for your sake because Jesus is enough. You're really saying that your relationship with Jesus and wanting to grow closer to him is more important than that other person doing what they're supposed to do, even owning their wrong and asking for forgiveness. When you forgive them, who gets set free? Not them. You do. Because you're not the forgiver, capital F, by the way. When you forgive somebody, they are not forgiven, capital F. Their sins are not forgiven, capital F, because you aren't God. They still have to do business with God. <clears throat> they still have to do business with God. And if they're dead, then whatever they've done is between them and God. He knows. But it's in neither case is it your issue anymore. It is not your responsibility anymore. So keep that in mind. They're not getting by with anything if you're forgiving them. They're not off God's hook <clears throat> if you forgive them. They're not free from responsibility as they stand before him if you forgive them. You're the one that's free. Do you want to be tied to them? Do you want to be tied to their definition of you? Because I guarantee you that if you have un any unforgiveness toward that person or anyone, you're tied to them. And part of the tie will include their definition of you. And if that's a negative, that'll be shame on you. That'll be there's something wrong with you. That will be an identity issue with you. Be free from their definition. Unless they happen to agree with God. <laughs> if they agree with God, they're right. Agree with God. Either way. So shame off you. Agree with God. I refuse this guilt. I refuse this shame. That was their sin against me. Maybe it was a combination of you rebelling against your parents. You went out. You got drunk. You, got, you took some drugs. You were vulnerable. This guy raped you, and you're thinking, man, alive, this is a mixed bag. I was raped. That's his sin. But if I would have obeyed mom and dad, I wouldn't have been in that position. Own your part and agree with God on their part. Be free. The remedy is the same, the blood of the lamb. Agree with God. The remedy covers it all. His remedy covers it all. His blood covers it all. And this is between you and him. Take responsibility for your response. Confess any sins that you know you're guilty of. Forgive others. Resist the devil. James 4, 7, submit to God. Notice the order. Submit to God. Resist the devil. It doesn't say resist the devil. Just resist the devil. Submit to God because we're under, we, we need to be under his authority, submitted to his authority, or we have no authority to exercise because we have no authority of our own. We have no authority of our own against the devil. If it's just our authority, we are in big trouble. But we have the authority of the king of kings. We've got a ring to show it. We've got a robe on our backs. The lamb has been slain. He's bought it all. He's purchased it all. We're a purchased people, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a chosen race, sons and daughters, not hired hands. Humility will agree. False humility or pride will not. Don't let this arrow, this arrow's got to go. This arrow's got to go. Keep in mind, this arrow is dipped in the poison of pride, every arrow is dipped in the poison of pride because the big challenge will be, will you believe God or will you believe in yourself? Will you believe that you're the sum total of your life's experiences or some part thereof? Or will you believe who he says you are? 
agree with him, affirm your identity in Christ. There's a diagram in your outline. What is your new identity? As it says on the left-hand side, do you believe you're the sum total of your life's experiences or some part thereof? If so, if so, you're really believing in yourself. You're putting confidence in yourself. Maybe you haven't looked at it that way. Maybe you're thinking, I'm not putting confidence in myself. I have no confidence in myself. But that's what we're doing. What we've done, what we haven't done, add it all up, logical conclusion, I'm the sum total of my life's experiences or some defining part thereof that keeps haunting me or keeps coming to my mind. If we buy in there, if we believe into that, we're believing the lie that our life's experiences equal us. Your life's experience equal you. On the other side of the ledger, if you will, do you believe who God says you are in him? And notice those things that are listed, all those things that he's provided, all those things, his righteousness, all that he's purchased through his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, and pouring his spirit out to us. He is our righteousness. He is our wisdom. Wisdom. He is the basis of our acceptance with the Father. There is only one life that's acceptable to the Father, and that's the life of the Son. So when we receive that, we become partakers experientially. Do you believe the truth that his life is your life? What's God's antidote for the arrow of shame? Receive your sonship. You are a favored son or daughter, as the case may be. Remember, you're not the sum total of your life's experiences or some defining part thereof. You are who God says you are. And as we close our time today, in just a moment, and I'll let you know when, in just a moment, I'm going to give you opportunity to get up out of your seats, totally voluntary, no pressure. This is between you and the Lord, but I believe that it will help you to do this. It's, if I can say it this way, it's an act of obedience or a, a prophetic act, if you will, of seeing that I'm going to take this out of my heart today. I need to participate. I can't be passive. I can't just expect God, okay, God, just take, just take it out. I don't know what to do. I mean, I don't, know, I don't know what to do with myself. I know there's something wrong with me. Just get this arrow out of me and make me feel all better. No, 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 no. Oh, he's sovereign. He can do what he wants. <clears throat> Excuse me, but he wants us to participate in receiving and believing and appropriating. And walking in the light is participating. Let us participate today. Let us participate by writing down on these <clears throat> white paper crosses those that you have sinned against, and you know it, and or those that have sinned against you, and you know it. Own your part, agree with God on what their part is. Their part is not your part. Part of the shame lie is we not only take our part, we take their part too. And we swing back and forth. This is how the lie of shame works. We swing back and forth. Well, it's, it's all my fault. It's all my fault. We just generalize it. A sweeping statement, it's all my fault. But then, and almost diabolically, two minutes later, it's all their fault. And we see, we see in the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve had sinned, the great cover-up cover began, and the great blame game began. This woman that you gave me, this woman 
This woman that you gave me, the great blame game began. The serpent beguiled me. They covered up and they started blaming one another. That's shame. <clears throat> but shame off you today, right? No more shame on you. Don't receive another example of shame on you the rest of your life. Shame off you forever and ever and ever. Let the Lord take the stain out. You know, there's a, I think there's still a cleaning detergent out. If you're doing your laundry or whatever, it's called shout it out. I'm getting excited now and my voice is elevating, but I'm not talking about shouting it out. I'm talking about shame off you because of the blood of the lamb. The blood of the lamb will take every stain out. Nothing takes stains out better than the blood of the lamb. And there's no, no righteousness like his. There's no holiness like his. There's no acceptance with the Father like his. There's no sense of well-being like his. There's nothing that will quiet our hearts like him quiet on our hearts. And there's nothing more. Can you imagine it? Can you see it? I pray you can see it today. The Father's smiling. He's delighting. He wants to quiet us with his love. He's rejoicing. Can you imagine it? Shame won't receive that. But take the shame out today and receive it. I'm going to close in prayer, and after I close in prayer, my invitation is for you to come. Come. Leave it at the cross. What's the significance of that? Agree with God. Death to this shame. Death to this, and alive under the favor of God. Alive under sonship. Alive under being a son or a daughter. Favored with an inheritance beyond comprehension. Death to shame. Alive under God. Let's pray. We agree with you, Lord. <laughs> I, I pray that every son and daughter in this room will agree with you today. Lord, there's nothing we have to do. There's no performance needed. There's no good track record. It could never be enough. It can never be enough. You're enough, though. Your blood's enough. Your life's enough. Your salvation's enough. Your provision's enough. I pray that everyone will see it just that way. It, it's, it's, it's really all about you. So I pray that we'll repent of our pride of always being on our mind that there's something wrong with me. And Lord, today, with shame off of us, you will always be on our mind. Thank you, Lord. Thank you in advance for how we're going to respond here and agree with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.